Welcome to the Jewelry Resellers Podcast, your go-to source for all things shiny, sparkly, and of course, profitable. I'm your host, Desiree, and I'll be your guide on this dazzling journey through the world of reselling jewelry. We'll be diving deep into the art and science of reselling, uncovering valuable tips, insider secrets, and sharing stories from successful jewelry resellers. We'll explore market trends, industry news, and even discuss how to find those hidden gems just waiting to be discovered in thrift stores, estate sales, and beyond. So if you're dreaming of turning your hobby into a hustle, or if you're a seasoned pro looking to stay at the top of your jewelry reselling game, join me each week for insights, stories, and more on the Jewelry Resellers Podcast. Hey, Jen. So welcome back for part two. Yeah, we're back. <laughs> so in this episode, we are going to really focus on the reselling business aspect as it relates to reselling jewelry, because I know you dropped a lot of gems in part one, but I really want to give our listeners and our viewers an idea of, of, you know, a realistic view of what it takes to really make this work. Because um, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of people think that, oh, this is going to be quick money. It's going to be easy. And people are just going to flock to my store and everything's going to sell. Right. <laughs> we both know that's not how it works. That is not how it works. <laughs> yeah. And so my background, you know, I am an entrepreneur and have owned um, in the past businesses, you know, that are small businesses, but still like $2 million companies that are, you know, operating budgets of like 2 million. So while right now I am choosing to be a full-time employee and do this on the side as a side hustle, I really think of it in terms of being a, a business and how I can grow it and make it profitable. And I I do think that I was under the impression when I started that, you know, it was going to be easy and that, yes. you know, because I'm a business person, you know, I know how to buy and sell that it would um, be more like buying and selling commodity, you know, like things that people use every day because people wear jewelry every day. It wasn't, it's not really that easy. It does require knowledge of the product and you really have to do your do your due diligence. But in terms of building a company, you know, I am doing it slow and steady because I believe that, you know, I didn't, I'm not an, I wasn't an expert in jewelry when I started. So growing slow and steady and adding knowledge and continuing to define my brand, continuing to put up the guardrails, the rules of my business, the rules of how I buy and the rules of how I sell and growing kind of slow and steady um, is a safer and more profitable venture than just going, you know, going out and trying to do a 10,000 item store right out the gate. Yeah, and I think there's parts to this that you really kind of need to master and hone in on because um, what I've learned is that you really have to, like I said before, you really need to get your sourcing dialed in and yes. then you really need to get your the whole selling part mastered because you can have all this gorgeous stuff, but if you don't know how to 
take decent pictures and write a proper listing and really use those keywords and tags and all that stuff, no one's going to find your item. No one's going to, you know, sell because there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pieces of jewelry out there, depending on what platform you're on too. I think myself, I started as an everything seller. And Mm -hmm. when I was getting the, the, the feedback from famous YouTuber, you know, big YouTubers in the reselling community to niche my business, I thought jewelry was the niche, (laughs) but no, it's within the niche. There's a niche. So you really do need to niche down within the jewelry category to, you know, something, whatever your thing is going to be. And, and you will do that by deciding what your brand is about and who your customer is. And once you know what your brand is about and who your customer is, your sourcing will get more dialed in. Then you need to really think about cost and resale value. And I think a lot of people think of the retail model, which is buy at 50% and sell, you know, two times the price. So you buy it for $5, sell it for $10. That does not translate in this today market, you cannot right. make money buying and selling at two times because of taxes. You know, you pay taxes on the on your sales, um, which is going to you know eat away a percentage. You have shipping supplies that eat away at your percentage. You pay eBay fees. You have a store fee. You have um, commissions that you pay when you sell. So that eats away at that double. And you're going to end up with nothing. So, you know, people need to really dial in what is going to be their buy and sell rate. And I think if you can, you know, there's um, a a famous YouTuber, a top reseller YouTuber named Chris, uh, who has a daily refinement and they post a lot of really good reseller content, has nothing to do with jewelry, but it's great content. And, um, you know, yeah, he I was in his group, it. so I know. <laughs> okay. Well, he, uh, he talks a lot about buying at $8, selling at $30. 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, you know, a good recipe for bread and butter purchases. Um, but, but what, you know, is going to be your brand rules and guidelines. And I think if you cannot three X your money, on a purchase, it's not worth doing the purchase. And obviously the goal for you should be even higher than that. My goal is always 5X and 3X is the minimum. Right. I have broken that rule many times and it has never worked out. <laughs> Maybe twice it worked out, but the double does, doesn't work. And, and I thought, oh, but this is an expensive piece, right? So if I buy this for 300 and I can flip it for 600, that's a $300 profit. And so even after fees and everything, I feel pretty good about that. But if that piece sits in your inventory and doesn't sell right away, you're sitting on a huge chunk of money that where the return is really not worth you know, you could sell four or five bread and butter pieces in two or three days that would be the equivalent of what you would make off that one piece that's hogging up money, you know, that's just money sitting there. And then you end up discounting it and then you end up selling it for just a tiny profit, which after all the fees, you either lose money or break even. So anyway, don't do that. I've done it a thousand times. You'll probably do it too. (laughs) I've done that too. (laughs) Don't do it. 
don't do it. Just set your set your guardrails, 3x minimum, shoot for 5x or more, whatever mm -hmm. your branded capabilities are. And um, that is the next, once you've decided who your brand is, who your customer is, and you start sourcing, rule number one, what are you going to, what's your buy rate? And you have to be able to say no, like I love the people I buy. When I see their pieces, I get really excited. And in the auction setting, your heart is racing. You want it. It's competitive. Yes. It goes up above your minimum. You think, oh, I could maybe do more. I could maybe do more. And then you create these dreams in your mind where you're going to sell it for more and never works out. So get can have the control and the discipline to stick within your buying, you know, rules. I also don't buy broken pieces. I don't buy anything that needs repaired. I don't buy mm -hmm. anything that's missing a piece. I right. just don't do that because I know for me, I'm not going to take the time to fix it and do it. So create those rules and stick to them. Yeah. You know, and um, there's also this concept too of fast nickel, slow dime. <laughs> right. And so a lot of times I know when I was, and even today, I still kind of sometimes struggle with that because if you're, if you're selling on any one of the major platforms, usually there is a make an offer option. So if you go in, like you said, oh, I want to pay 300 for this piece. I'm going to list it for 600. Well, someone may come along and say, I'll offer you 450. Mm -hmm. Now you're putting yourself in a little bit of a pickle, right? Because you're like, well, I really want to sell this piece because it costs so much and I don't want my money to be tied up. But at the same time, you're not getting that 3x, 5x, whatever. So um, I think a lot of people don't think about that because um, yes, there's certain pieces that will sell quickly, but they may not sell for, you know, the sale price that you want. And then you also have to give yourself some wiggle room for offers because nine times out of 10, if it's something that's really beautiful or something that's popular and in demand, you're going to get offers and you're going to have to make the decision. Do I want to take less or am I going to hold out and possibly hold on to this for another year right. <laughs> and, and maybe and not make the sale? Right. And sales are a big component. You know, they're a big driver of traffic. So I do put my items on sale and I have rules about how much I'm willing to go up to and what my average sale price is going to be. But sales bring traffic. So you also need mm -hmm. to be able to have that 15% discount. If you're 2Xing and taxes is 10% and discounting 15% and your shipping costs you 5%, you know, you know it just doesn't work out. It's just not great. Right. You don't make any money. In fact, you can lose money um, pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Find yourself losing it. Right. So you definitely want to, you know, set that goal. Yeah. So these are things people need to take into consideration. Just because you're listing a piece at a certain price doesn't always guarantee it's going to sell at that price. Right. Because like you said, sometimes we'll offer coupons. Sometimes we'll do markdowns. Sometimes mm -hmm. we'll even pay for promotions, which the buyer is not going to see. But we're going to see in our on our end that we paid 10 percent uh, to get this this item shown higher, higher in the uh, listings or in yeah. search rather. So, so when you are buying, you really need to pay attention that there's so many factors and there's a lot of variables that will ultimately affect the final sale price. And yes. that's something people don't really think about. And so one thing I'd like to, to 
jump off of that with is the turnaround time. Mm-hmm. So jewelry does tend to have a slower sell-through rate than some other categories like women's clothing or men's right. clothing. Um, women's clothing, men's clothing, typically they're looking to sell within 90 days and mm-hmm. they can go online and look at the specific shirt and see exactly, you know, how fast it's selling. You know, um, just for those who don't know, you can go on to eBay, you can search for that item, you can then see how many of that item are for sale. And then you can click the sold filter and it will show you how many of those items have sold in the last 90 days. So if there are a hundred for sale and there are a hundred sold, then that's a 100% sell-through rate for that item for 90 days. And if you find anything that's a hundred percent sell-through rate, you should buy it. But um, (laughs) with jewelry, it is not so clear. Just because you have sterling silver, sterling silver with rose quartz, and you search that, and there's ten thousand available and eight thousand sold, you know, it's not so clear that your sterling silver with rose quartz is going to sell. It's not so clear what those keywords are that are pushing the higher sales, or you know how you're searching it can can be an effect. It's just not as clear. Um, also, like you might search J King necklaces. And see, you know, and it might look like a terrible sell-through rate, but you might have to just know through your experience and through your store that lapis lazuli necklaces sell. And if it's a J King and it's lapis that it's going to sell. So there's just so many factors that make it harder for us to know what the sell-through rate is, but we do need to put a focus on how quickly our items are selling and you need to be willing to liquidate the items that aren't selling for whatever you can get for them and keep it moving. So don't, don't, if you have items that have been sitting in your store for one year, let it go. Right. Time Time to to move it out. (laughs) Move it out, move it out and focus, you know, put your focus and your attention on the items, you know, that are your first 90 day items. And then anything that's older than 90 days, it's just got to go on sale. It's got to go on clearance. You got to get your money back and reinvest that money in something that's going to sell more quickly. Yeah, you you bring up a good point because I know in the beginning, I had a lot of emotional attachment to stuff. <laughs> and yeah. so I was like, I can't sell this for $5. You know, I need to sell it for 20 or whatever the amount was, you know? And so... Um, like you said, you really have to see this as a business and you really have to understand that this is about making money. We're not in the business of storage. We're not in the business of going back and forth repeatedly, you know, because somebody is nickeling and diming you or saying, can I get this for $2 less than it's like, you just don't have the time to do that, especially if you're doing this at a volume where you're trying to create either a full-time income or you're trying to get, you know, as much as you can get for the work that you're doing. Because um, one of my friends, she makes a really good point. She's a jewelry seller too, full time. And she says, it takes me just as much work to list and ship a $5 necklace as it does a $75 necklace. So why would I not want to maximize my time, you know, and my effort, you know, and in finding things that sell at a much higher, faster sell-through rate. So I think people really need to understand that. Yeah. One of my rules is I don't sell anything under $15 or $14.99. Mm-hmm. 
it might go on sale for less than that, but I don't buy anything that I can't sell for $15. It's just not worth my time. And I do find that the $15 to $25 items in my store that I've cultivated sit the longest. And I believe that part of the reason for that is it's really hard to find keywords to sell generic things. Yeah. So it's just harder to find a customer for that in my store and with what I've developed. So it, you know, you have to focus on, uh, there, there's a couple of key components. You need to have bread and butter items. You need to have those items that are, are at an affordable price point for your customer that might not be the thing that they wear to the gala, but you know, it's the thing they're going to wear every day. Mm -hmm. Um, then you need to have your collectible pieces or your slightly higher end pieces that your collectors, your clients are going to buy to treat themselves. They're going to buy it for their birthdays, for their, you know, for their celebrations. And then you want to have a couple of marquee pieces that are going to attract traffic to your store. People who have never seen that item from that designer or are really, in, you know, really sparkly, amazing, something amazing to drive traffic to your store. So you're going to have all three of those items. Sourcing for those items should be you know, looking at that 3X, 5X, if you can't get it at the right price, you're shopping in the wrong store. You know, you're shopping in the wrong place. I find jewelry is really difficult to get at estate sales and garage sales because they want, they've looked it up on eBay and they know what it goes for. And oftentimes yeah. <laughs> the jewelry is one of the things that they don't want to let go for cheap. So it, you know, you really do need to dive into other places to source what you're looking for. And for me, I would rather pay up for one piece of jewelry than buy a huge pile of stuff that I don't, that, that might all kind of be average. Um, Cause again, every piece takes time to list. And if it's not a standout piece or a piece, an attractive piece that, you know, is going to pull the crowds, then it's not worth my time. So uh, you might, in my buying and sourcing, I will pay up for a beautiful piece um, and just buy one at a time rather than trying to, you know, buy a whole mountain of stuff and make it into, make, make that, make something out of that. Yeah. I mean, I've made that same mistake too, when I didn't know any better, you know, I just, you know, you, you learn very quickly that, not all jewelry is, is good jewelry, you know? And, um, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm looking at some pieces now that I need to, I need to do something with. Um, but let's talk about how you move these pieces. Cause we talked a little bit in part one, where you said that you use whatnot to basically liquidate those pieces that are just not worth the time to list on eBay or probably won't sell for very much. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, it's great when you're buying pieces and selling them for what you thought you would get. Great. That's my core business. And, you know, I, I don't go off the 90 day time period because jewelry does have a little bit of a longer rate. So it takes me about six months at the, at, at about six months, I'm putting pieces aside and saying, you know, it's still up in my store at the moment, but it's in a pile for a clearance sale. And I will go on whatnot and I'll let all my people that buy know I'm going to liquidate, you know, here's the brand names and stuff. 
and they'll come in and I'll start auctions at $3 and it might sell for $3 and I might lose money on all of those items, but I'm moving them on. They're not selling in my store and I'm taking whatever I get for them and reinvesting it in something that's going to be profitable learning. Yeah. yeah. And learning and also making some people really happy and making friends with some people. I've also done some trades, you know, you get people with on whatnot. And if you get friendly with them, um, maybe before I do a sale, I'll reach out to one or two of the buyers that I see on whatnot. And I'll say, Hey, these are pieces that I'm going to clearance. Are you interested in buying it as a bulk unit? Or are you interested in doing a trade? And sometimes people will trade me, you know, I'll send them a whole pile of stuff that doesn't sell for me. And they'll send me one or two really nice pieces that I know I can flip for a profit. So trades are, are also very common among our jewelry community. Oh, that's interesting. Cause I've never done trades. I've, um, I mean, I've had people like offer to buy my stuff, you know, wholesale bulk, whatever, but I've never had anybody, uh, do a trade. So that's good to know that that's well, another option. You know, when you're trading, you have to have some trust. So it's generally mm -hmm. going to be people that you're in a community with a community, right. like whatnot, or some kind of other jewelry antique dealer kind of situation. Um, but yeah, it's a great deal. I have a woman that loves Sajin goddess pieces. And so anytime I see them at an auction, I will buy them, even though they're not really for my customer, because she always gets really great Ripka Barbara Bixby pieces. And then I'll send her the Sajin Goddess pieces and she'll send me back her Ripka Bixby pieces. And it's a great little, you know, oh, that's deal. great. <laughs> and, you know, we're both she's buying them at whatever she's buying them at and I'm buying them at whatever I'm buying them at. But we're trading at the retail value. So it kind of works out great for both of us. Oh yeah. I need to find a jewelry buddy like that then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, when you're, when you're li liquidating, you know, old stuff, yeah, you're going to lose money sometimes. And that's another reason why you can't two X your profit, why you've got to at least be shooting for five X. You know, I know Rachel Strickland, who's a really popular reseller. Yes. Online, I love her. She has like a 10 X rule. She's always, her goal is always 10X. I find with jewelry, especially higher end designer pieces, it's almost impossible to 10X a piece. But if you can't 5X, then it's just not the right deal. Yeah, and it's really not worth it because uh, because the work and the time it takes, you know, you really need to maximize your return on that in profit and in time, you know, saved because I don't want to spend hours listing like you said, you know, $5 items, $7 items, whatever the case may be, because I know that same exact work, maybe even less effort, because I would only have to list one piece, I could get yeah. the same amount of money, you know, make the same amount of money as opposed to selling five cheap pieces. Another point that might be interesting to people is because I have a higher end client base and they are typically, you know, my customers are uh, over 40 wealthy women and whatnot. I do send everything out in a box with tissue paper, with a thank you note, and it's a very nice little package. And so that does cost money. Every time I ship a piece, it's like $1.50 or something out of my pocket to make it look high-end and expensive. 
And I find that I get a lot of reviews on that. And I think it does help prompt people to do a review for me because they've gotten a thank you and all this stuff. So that's that costs money. Then sometimes I will do flat rate shipping. Um, you know, on eBay, if I live in Seattle and the buyer's in New York, they might have to pay like $8 in shipping for something that weighs one ounce. So they're going to tend to buy from a different seller that's closer to them where they're going to get a better deal in shipping. So I have chosen in my business to do flat rate shipping where items that are four ounces or less, you know, are $4.99 no matter where you live in the country. Sometimes I pay less, sometimes I pay more. But you have to factor that in. And then the way that eBay works is they charge their commission off of the total price plus the shipping. So you're paying them a commission off of the shipping. So if you, you know, so you need to have some room in there because if you look at like, okay, this is how much I sold the piece for minus the eBay fees, minus the shipping, minus the promotion if I did one minus the sale price discount that I gave them. Okay. Then I have my labor fee. That's, that's the money that I made for my time. So after you've chipped away at all of those things, you know, there's not a lot, people think that the, the goal is to make 50% and it's not really, if your business is making 20 to 25%, you are doing well. And so you need to look at, okay, well, if if I'm trying to make a $50,000 a year income, that's going to be 20 to 25% of your gross sales. So you would need to sell $200,000 of jewelry to make $50,000 is kind of one way that you can look at it. And then you think, wow, okay, I got to sell 2000. <laughs> That's a lot. $200,000 in jewelry is a lot. How are you going to do it? That's oh, one yeah. of the reasons why I decided to go to build my store around a couple of designers who had a little bit more on the higher end uh, types of pieces, because I'm not going to get where I want to go um, $10 at a time. I need to really be doing 75 to $150 per unit sales to get where I need to go with the number of listings that I'm putting up and the time that I'm putting in at the moment. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty about this business because you really can create a business model that works for you. And it doesn't have to be what anyone else says or what anyone else does. I know a lady, all she does is jewelry lots. That is Mm. all she does. And with the lot jewelry lot model, uh, she's able, like nothing is lower than $25 for her, you know, depending on what size lot she's doing. Yeah. I think she does like one pound bags or something like that. And those start at like $25 and then she goes all the way up, you know, and that's great too, because she knows that nothing is going to be less than $25. And, and people love to buy those lots. Like we talked about before, you know, people love to take a chance. People love and, uh, mystery. Yeah. But the thing is, is like that could work too, right? Like There's- you don't only have to have high end pieces. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there is a huge vintage market. I know a lot of people that focus on vintage. They are very knowledgeable about what people are looking for and how the backs should look. And, you know, there's the just the brooch community alone. Like you could just sell vintage brooches and make a whole business out of that. And they have a lot of high low um, that you can buy from. So 
there's just, yeah, it can be anything that you want it to be, which is the fun of creating a business. You know, you're creating something, a, a, a playground to play inside of. Um, I love buying. I, I love buying more than I love selling, which I think is common. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but it's a playground for me. And I, while it is a job and it takes time and sometimes I'm sourcing and I'm bored out of my mind because I'm not seeing what I want to see and it can be very frustrating um, or I'm listing and I just don't know what to call something and I don't know any, you know, I don't have enough information on it. You know, there's all these things that make it a job, but it is really a playground and you can create whatever you want. And if you find that you're in a business you don't want to be in, you can change it. So true. And that's the beauty of eBay because you literally can sell anything. I mean, it's as long as it's not something, you know, illegal yes. or something like that, you really can sell anything because um, I do I have, have a category called collectibles where I will literally sell whatever I pick up. So I have my jewelry store that's very detailed categories. And I have, then I have women's like handbags and accessories, which is kind of things that I've picked up along the way. And then I have this collectibles category that is literally whatever I want to put in there. But I do find that it takes away from the jewelry store when I get too into those other sections. So I, I have pulled back and sort of clearanced out a lot of that stuff and try to keep it super like one page. Now, do you do any selling like outside of, of online? Because I also have uh, an antique mall uh, booth cool. where I sell. Well, I, I used to sell jewelry in there, but um, I don't anymore only because there's a ton of jewelry sellers in there and my stuff just wasn't getting seen because I, see. I mean, literally like there's probably hundreds and hundreds of booths in there and yeah. all they have is, is jewelry. And they had a lot of nicer stuff than what I had. Oh, okay. But I do sell like uh, some vintage glasswares and collectibles Ooh. and stuff like that in my antique mall booth. So do you sell anywhere else um, that's not online? I do consignment. Oh, okay. And that's good too. Yeah. So um, I've played around with a lot of the different sites. And so I've sent things to thread up. I've sent things to the real, real I've sent things to a local store, like two local consignment stores. And it takes a little bit of understanding. It's an, a whole new world of selling, right? So you know, you want to go into these things gingerly and do your research and test them out. Um, and everyone will have different experience, but I have kind of found where I can go, where I could send pieces and what I can expect for them. Um, and in particular with the higher end jewelry, um, consignment is not always a bad idea because the more expensive the piece, the higher your payout is. So if the piece is going to sell above four or $500, then sending it to the consigner takes less time than me actually listing it, putting it in my inventory and waiting for a sale. And I know that my customers typically are under 300 in their purchases. I have the occasional marquee piece that sells but generally, um, I'm, so if it's above my average price point, I might send it to a place like the Real Real or one of the local stores. They'll sell it for me. And because it's such a high dollar item, the commission is much higher. So I'll do that. And then what happens is I hate selling clothing. 
I absolutely hate clothing. I hate measuring it. I hate photographing it. I absolutely hate storing hate it. it, cleaning it. I am the same exact way, girl. <laughs> but I love buying it. So it's a tr it's hard. It's so hard. And the thing is the women who have the jewelry I'm looking for, they have really nice wardrobes. So I will, you know, see what they have and like it's really hard for me to stop myself sometimes from buying their clothes. So I just consign them. I don't, you know, I'll only buy what I know I can consign and with consignment you're the the price point is very important because right they're going to sell it at whatever they're going to sell it at and you don't really know what that's going to be and they can discount that item whenever they feel like it so you really have to be able to buy low in those scenarios um and so i have like a system with which if i'm in an auction and there are designer clothes being sold for next to nothing. I will pick them up. The other thing is they can reject an item. So you might send it to a consigner and they'll say, mm, not for us. Yeah. And then you're stuck with an item. Then you got to put it on your eBay store and do the, and, and then they just sit in my money pile <laughs> because I don't want to <laughs> list them. And I have a room full of clothes right now that were, was just a buying mishap. I thought I was going to do a whatnot show with it and then i decided that's not for me and now i just have a pile of clothes taking up so much the great thing about jewelry is i have it 100 percent contained to this beautifully designed closet yes. <laughs> that is just for the jewelry i could close that door and i would not see my business at all but i have bought all this other stuff that is just filled my extra room and i just <laughs> don't know what I was doing. Anyway, <laughs> not the point, but we all do this. So consignment is a great way to buy some other things and sell them, but you need to really test those. Each one has lots of rules and different ways, and you can really easily get caught with a bunch of inventory that they don't want. And then you have to find these other ways to sell. So I don't do events. I don't, I haven't gone, done any jewelry shows or anything like that. I'm not opposed to it. It's just, I'm a part-timer and um, I limit the time I spend on my company because I do work 40 hours a week. Um, but so yeah, no events, no other things that I've been doing, but I do consign consignment. Yeah. Well, you know, and uh, a friend of mine, she did, uh, what she called a pop-up shop for her jewelry. And it was like, she did a little, uh, I don't know if it was like a craft fair or something like that. You know how it, this was back during the holiday time. Mm -hmm. And so she got a table and she just kind of set up her jewelry. And now it wasn't like her high end best stuff, but it was probably the stuff you and I would sell on whatnot. And she said she did amazingly well because people just got excited because they just see the jewelry all spread out and they saw, <laughs> you know, all of these things. And she said um, she had, she was selling it. It was like, three pieces for $5 or something like that. And she okay. just, she so, cleared it all out. I did, I did prepare to sell a Renaissance fair, but then for That's medical, I had a medical situation and I had to have a surgery or whatever that conflicted with the doing oh. the show. But I will tell you, those kinds of targeted events are very mm -hmm. profitable. And 
um, people at Renaissance fairs in particular, there's a lot of research behind what they buy and what they're willing to spend their money on. And if it goes into their costume, if it will contribute to their costumes, they're willing to spend a, a, a good deal more than like other booths where it might be like housewares or things for your home or, mm-hmm. or average items that aren't really Renaissance themed. So I actually bought a ton of jewelry that was like themed for the Renaissance fair. Um, and then unfortunately I couldn't make it, but I do think that themed events like that, if you can get your curate, your collection, you know, if you have 10,000 pieces of jewelry and you can pull 500 that fit that theme. Right. Um, I think those are great places to sell. I did participate as a seller, as a employee for someone um, at like a psychic festival. And there were a lot of jewelry sellers there selling stone jewelry. Right. And it was very competitive. Too many sellers selling all the same stuff. So I, I didn't, um, I wouldn't do that as a seller myself like it's a great niche but you have to figure out what you can do to differentiate yourself from the other sellers and i would caution people against like having too many businesses so it's like you know if my if i could sell my core ebay inventory at an event and it was a good fit for that stuff that would be you know what i would be looking to do yeah and um You know, the other thing is, too, is sometimes when you do these events, so they don't have like a bunch of people selling the same stuff, they will have um, like they'll say, oh, we only have. Yeah, they'll they'll say, oh, we can only have one jewelry seller, one candle seller, you know, one (laughs) wax melt seller. You know what I mean? That's a good question to ask when you're considering an event for sure. Yes. And. It's funny because I was going to try, this wasn't recently, this was maybe about a year ago. And there is an, because I don't want to say the name, but I'm sure people will know what it is. There's an MLM company (laughs) that sells jewelry. Yes. And everything's $5. And so, uh, because that, they already had that seller in there. Mm. I couldn't sell, even though my jewelry is nothing like that. Like it is nothing like that you know, and I don't even think people would like the people that buy that would not be looking for my stuff. And the people that bought my stuff would probably not be looking for that. Right. But, uh, but the thing was, is because they already had that person renting a table, they said, Oh no, we can't have any more jewelry sellers. So, you know, like you said, you just got to really, really ask a lot of questions. If you are going to do some of these craft fairs or holiday bazaars, whatever they're called. The thing, the thing with the with these events is you also you have to look at your time to profit ratio because when I'm sitting at home, I could be doing a lot of things while I'm listing and multitasking and handling a lot of different things. So the time mm-hmm. gets a little bit spread out. But with these events, you're really committing a full day. So you need to consider what you can walk away with and consider who the customer is that's coming. Like for me, I sell a lot of Judith Ripka and Barbara Bixby, kind of higher end designer pieces, second hand. They're for a very specific kind of lady. So if I went to just a general Saturday market or some kind of you know city fair, the chances that my buyer is gonna walk by very slim. Um, so yeah, I would... Uh, 
And even if 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 she did, it would probably only be like one or two people. It's not like you would have, you know, hundreds of people. Yeah, uh, I would need that. to be at an event where people are looking to spend a hundred to five hundred dollars on a on jewel on jewelry specifically. And and those events, I mean, whoosh, we should create something like that. That would be amazing. But I don't know of anything <laughs> in my area. Yeah, where are you? You're in. I'm in Seattle. Seattle. Yeah, and I'm in Las Vegas. But yeah, that would be nice if if they did have something like it was just a vintage jewelry market or, you know, it's just just a jewelry market too. You know, I mean, sell whatever yeah, you know, handmade jewelry, psychic gemstone jewelry, whatever. Yeah, attract the people who specifically. I mean, jewelry at a certain price point is easy is an easy sell, like anything under $15. If you're at an event, people are willing to just drop 15 bucks to buy a cute little something or a gift for someone else. But that's just not what I do. So yeah, yeah. So okay, let me make sure that I've asked everything I wanted to ask as it relates to the business side of reselling. Um, I also want to go back to what you talked about on shipping too, because I know jewelry buyers are very, very picky and presentation is everything, especially if they're buying a high-end piece, you know? And so, you know, this isn't the type of, of thing you can sell on eBay casually and just, you know, throw in some bubble wrap, throw it in a poly mailer and, you know, ship it out. That's not good, <laughs> you know? So we want to make sure that we're, we're creating an experience. That's really what I've learned too. Even people who don't buy the expensive stuff, because not everybody's in the same income bracket, but right. you know, everyone, all ladies who buy jewelry, you know, they want to feel pretty. They want to feel like this, they're treating themselves. And so if we can kind of create that experience at whatever level, I think you will kind of cultivate your own following, repeat buyers and people that really enjoy just buying from you. I have people that they don't necessarily have a specific preference of the type of jewelry, but they just like buying with me because they like me. Right. Yeah. And so over time, you will find those types of buyers who they just love shopping with you and they'll buy whatever you <laughs> whatever you want to show. <laughs> I think what's important for the for this conversation We've talked about building a brand, who's yes. your customer, source for that customer, build your rules and guidelines around your sourcing so that you're making your 5X or plus profit margin. Yes. We've talked about listing and, you know, turnover, selling 90 days or, you know, getting, keeping the flow going, not sitting on pieces for too long. But what the, the thing that jewelry resellers need to do that they don't want to do is you need to do your bookkeeping. You need oh, to have a yes. schedule. Do not say, oh, bookkeeping's the thing I do when I'm done because you're never done and you'll never do it. You have to have a set day and time that you do it and get into a routine, whether it's Monday morning or Friday afternoon or whenever you are your sharpest, do your bookkeeping. Don't be super generic. Make sure that you consult an accountant to that you're set up properly, make sure that your business expenses are on a credit on a different credit card than your personal expenses, make it easier for yourself, have a separate bank account that your sales are income is going into. So it's separate from your personal, do your bookkeeping and know your numbers. So if you only sell on one platform, it's easy to use their reports to see how you're doing. 
But if you're selling on multiple platforms, if you're going to events, if you have different channels, you need to do your own reporting within your own bookkeeping tool. And yes, it's another subscription that you have to pay for. And it is another expense to your business, but it is very key. And it is worth investing in early in your business and getting it set up properly than having to, once you're successful, go back and redo the whole thing. So we don't want to do it, but you have to do it. Put yourself on a schedule. Know your numbers. Yeah, I do that too, because I keep track of, I mean, I save all my receipts and I keep track of where I buy something from. So um, if even if I buy something at a yard sale, I'll write the date and I'll say yard sale, jewelry lot, $40 or whatever it was. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I have a, um, it's like an actual planner and I write everything by hand. I mean, I have stuff done electronically too, but for me, I notice when I write it by hand, it just really helps me get a clear overhead view about what I'm spending, what's coming in, what's going out. Absolutely. And I know that it's expensive, but I have invested in QuickBooks and they do have a system with which they can pull the transactions out of your bank account. So all you really have to do is tell the system where to put it mm -hmm. and you can automate a lot of your transactions, which will save you a ton of time with uh, bookkeeping. Um, so I'm a big fan of that tool, but I just think, you know, um, this year my reports were really important to me because I am growing my business. And so I have decided because it's a side hustle and I have a full-time income, I'm reinvesting all of my profit right now in growing my business. And so there's not like a number in my bank account where I can say, oh, I made this much money because I never took it out and put it in my pocket, right? So how do we track how our business is doing and how much profit there is when you're not taking the money out and putting it in your pocket? And what I could see from my reports is that my sales were up over 100% from last year. My repeat buyers were up over 100% from last year, right? So I can look and say, okay, well, I didn't put any money in my pocket, but I can see the growth of my business and I can see that the tactics and things that I've been doing and trying are working. And I can also estimate if I stay on this trajectory, how much money I'll put in my pocket, like eventually. Yeah, that's really smart too, because um, I've heard that from many <laughs> resellers, much bigger than me, who have said that, um, I mean, if you're looking for, to, for the first few years when you're, when you're growing your eBay business, the best thing to do is to reinvest it back. It's like you don't want to take that money out and pay bills with it like your personal bills because then your business doesn't have any like how are you going to buy more inventory? You know, how are you going to buy more shipping supplies or whatever you need? So you basically need to keep reinvesting that until, you know, you you yeah. can take some off and that usually takes at least a year, but for many of us more than that. It's it's a commitment like as we said at the very beginning of this podcast, and we mentioned it in episode one, this jewel selling jewelry is not like a quick flip business where you can make a lot of money fast. Very, very rarely are you going to be able to do that. The only people that do that are like people who inherit incredible collections that they paid zero dollars for and they're <laughs> selling it for really cheap, you know, and making it fast. This is just not that kind of business. So it is a longer term commitment and it's some, but it is something that if you put the time and effort in, you can grow a 
solid, you know, reliable income over time. And there is a method with which if you assume that you're going to be after fees, after commissions, all this stuff, the shipping costs, all this stuff, if you assume you're going to make 20, 25% profit, there is a model with which you can pay yourself 10% of your sales and then your business will keep 10%. So you can give yourself 10%, say, you know, put 10% back in your business and then you're buying, you know, your buying power is that 10%. Or, well, actually you consider your cost of goods as part of that money that you spend. So it's not part of the, the profit. But your business would then have that 10% to like save up so that when there's like a great opportunity to buy a lot of things, but it's really expensive, you've got a little bit of buying power. Um, I choose to just reinvest all of it at the moment because I can see where I want it to go and I want it to get, I want to get there faster. So you will, you know, time is the question. I did like my gross number for last year was about 35,000. And this year, my goal is to do 50 gross, right? At 50 gross, I feel like it's really worth my time and the side hustle to profit that 25%. And um, in time, like I want to do this in my retirement. This is basically my retirement plan and I'm 45 now. So if I can retire at 55 and then just do this jewelry business as like my retirement job, then that would be a great way to get me to an early retirement. And, you know, that's kind of what I see it in terms of long-term where I'm going with it. I think it's great to know where you're going with it. Do you want to be a stay-at-home mom? Do you want to have two more kids and be able to, you know, stay at home with them when they're 10, right? Okay. You start this now, you build it time, you know, work your business, treat your business like your business, Rachel Strickland, says, you know, treat your business like your business. And in time, you will get to a place where you are paying yourself a livable wage while doing something that seems fun and that you like doing. I totally agree. And I think that's so profound because I don't think people really look at it that way. You know, they, most people get into this because they just need to make a quick, you know, hundred dollars or whatever the case may be. But I also think it's important to, um, and I think you touched on it a little bit was, you know, you really need to set aside money for those um, unexpected bulk buy opportunities. You know, you need to have, I don't know, a thousand dollars, however much you can, you know, save because the opportunity will come up where someone will say, oh my gosh, I have all these pieces. I'll sell it to you, you know, <laughs> and you need to be ready to say, yes, I'll take it. Right. Yeah. And so that's something that I think we need to include in, in our business budget is money put aside for these bulk buy opportunities. Yes, 100 percent. So I didn't want to I didn't want this episode to end without talking about that aspect of it, because I know it's something that people drag their feet on. It's not the fun part of business, but doing the bookkeeping on a schedule, knowing your numbers and setting targets, estimating what you think you're going to make, estimating, you know, what you think you're going to spend and creating budgets and things like that. It's not the fun part of reselling, but it's the part that if you don't know how to do it, you need to know how to do it. And in your first couple of years, while you're learning the ropes, these are the things that you should also be, that you should be putting some time and effort into because 
the numbers are everything and they, they show you where you're headed and where you're going to, where you're going to go. And you can see if you're meeting your targets or not meeting your targets. And you can start to understand why you're meeting those targets or not meeting those targets. And those numbers may have you changing what you're doing. They may have you make decisions that, you know, I know for me, when I saw my metrics after the first year of jewelry only, I didn't make any money in my first year. I, I, um, I washed. And that is because I didn't have a high enough profit margin. I was doing the 3x profit margin and, and it was not enough to make money with right. the buying mistakes, with the pieces that didn't sell, with having to clearance things that I bought in bulk that I shouldn't have. Um, I didn't make any money my first year. And if I hadn't seen the numbers, if I didn't know that, I might have continued on this path and just be waste, basically just donating my time to do, to do this. And like, it's a lot of effort and, and risk and all of that to be not making any money. So you need to know the numbers and that, and make decisions based on those numbers, uh, you know, in order to make a profitable company. Yeah, you're so brilliant, Jen. I think you could totally teach a class on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I teach, I, I have taught classes in the other world that I, that I live in about make, you know, having a business. If it's, it's crazy how a lot of people, they, they want to, they sell a couple things, but they don't treat it like a business. They treat it, um, differently. So for example, I work a lot with, um, artists who edit videos or who film things and they bill their customers and they film things, but they see themselves as a filmmaker. They don't see themselves as a business, but the minute that you create an invoice or sell something, you are a business according to the state and the IRS, you are a business and you need to run your business. And I think when people can make the paradigm shift from just being a reseller to being a business, you're a, a business that resells, that mindset will help you make good decisions, put in place policies and procedures for yourself and help you, you know, help decide you what you want to do. Huh. Not everybody wants to make a full-time income doing this. A lot of people just like doing it on the side. It's a hobby and it fulfills something in them. Great. But it's still a business and you're still paying taxes right. and commissions and things. So still do the bookkeeping, still do your taxes, still treat it like a business and try to be profitable. Yeah. So true. So true. All right, Jen. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to share or um, I don't know if you uh, have online socials where people could follow you and maybe, you know, some of our uh, listeners may want to buy some of your jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you can find me on eBay. I'm Stone Blue Collectibles and that's the name of my store. So just backslash Stone Blue Collectibles on eBay. On whatnot, I'm Oso Diva. And that's O-S-O-D-I-V-A. I do not have any shows scheduled at the moment, but who knows when you're listening to this podcast, go check it out and see if I have some shows. Um, and on Instagram, 
honestly, I don't remember what my name is, but you can search Stone. <laughs> you can send it to me. You I'm absolutely me terrible. And, uh, I'll, I'll put it in the. Send it to me, yeah. and I'll I'll make sure to put it in the show notes. That way, if people want to follow you, because I know you know. People will because you've okay. given us so much fantastic information, and they're going to be so blown away. So great! I, I, if you want to learn more about how to run a business, definitely come follow me. I don't. I will put some content up, you know, after this to get people started with that and a little bit more information, especially on the accounting side of jewelry reselling. But. Um, yeah, I'm just terrible with social media and I haven't really bought into it, even though I know it could greatly improve my company. Um, I'm still behind in that regard. <laughs> See me, I'm the opposite. I love social media. And if I could just do that all day and make all the money I needed to make, that's what I would do. <laughs> well, you're on your way because you have a fantastic <laughs> podcast, which has a really oh, great you. community behind it. And we really don't have a lot of jewelry reselling content. So I think the more people that, you know, I think everyone will want to jump on this podcast and, and look through the history of it. And I think, you know, I know it's, it's, um, I know this content is very desired. So once it's, you know, this could be it for you. You could be doing this. I hope so. You know, that's the whole reason why I, I created this podcast because there's a bazillion and one reselling podcasts but there was nothing specific to jewelry. And there's nothing. also jewelry podcasts, but those are more for jewelry designers, people who have jewelry stores. There yes. was nothing uh, in there for, or, or that I found that I could search. There was nothing jewelry reseller related. So I really- it's a void. Yeah, I so really believe- everyone follow Desiree. <laughs> and go to Thank her you, link. Jen. She's bake, making content. She's get on her socials <laughs> and follow her because she's doing it. She's doing all that, getting all the information out. I'm still just, you know, in my little isolated world, but she's got the stuff. Well, you have to promise me that uh, maybe uh, later on this year, uh, we will be able to check in with you again and see how things are going, you know, Absolutely. and uh, you can give us an update on how things are, you know, rocking and rolling in your business. And if you ever come to Las Vegas, oh, um, sure. you and I <laughs> will go out uh, sourcing together. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe um, if you come during the uh, the jewelry show. Yeah, we'll, absolutely. We'll that together. I mean, I really do think that we as jewelry resellers need more community. We need to f have more places where we can connect. So I'm absolutely a, a, um, a voice box for that. Cool. All right, Jen. Well, thank you so much for your time and your knowledge and just, you know, sharing everything you know with us on today's episode. And like I said, for those of you listening, I will have all of Jen's information in the show notes so you can connect with her as well. Great. Thank you, everyone. Thanks.